four of 10 in our exciting season, building your series, building yourself one trait at a time, a 10 part spiritual journey into Musar. As always, we hope to get the most out of this experience that in addition to the hour of our learning together, that you're also able to set aside some time, that you're also able to set aside some time in the week to practice, um, to do the work. Because as you know, the, the goal in our Musar learning is never just intellectual, but it is actual, actual growth in our life. So please, in addition to setting aside this on your calendar, please set aside some time where you're gonna think about how you're going to practice and cultivate these traits in your life. That is our measure of success here. It's great to show up and learn together and it's great to grow in this. So friends, session four today is on Zrizut, alacrity for enthusiasm. One of my favorite, I actually have the, the problem, I need the, more of the opposite, the savlanut, the patience, but, but all, the, all of the midot are engaging one with another. So uh, thank you, Rabbi Lauren Berman, for being here and all of you. And uh, we'll jump right in here. Thank you again, Rav Shmuley. I was actually going to say, if there's one person uh, who I would say is an expert in Zrizut, or, or as you say, has maybe too much of it, uh, that would be you. I remember Rav Shmuley came to speak to us from rabbinical school and talked about his very intense schedule, um, you know, and it, it, very orderly. It was, it was, it was quite impressive. Uh, there's a lot we could learn. Um, and of course, everything, everything in good measure. Um, welcome back, everyone. It's nice to see you. Our listeners, first timers, repeat learners, again, welcome, everybody. It's nice to see you. As we've been doing the last couple uh, of sessions, I want to start with a brief review. Chazara uh, review is very important in all learning and all Musar of what we've been covering in our series so far, especially if this is your first time with us. First of all, when we are discussing Musar in Midot or character traits, we're talking about the Jewish art of self-improvement, of character development. It's meant to be introspective, but Musar is generally done in small groups with intimate sharing. And the goals of Musar uh, is not simply to quote, you know, improve oneself, but to feel closer to ourselves, to others, and to Hashem, to God. In our series, as Rav Shmuley said, we're mostly learning Musar, I would say, rather than teaching Musar, with the hopes that you feel inspired to delve more deeply into the midot we're exploring on your own uh, or with a Musar Vod or a Musar group. The first midah we looked at was Hit Lamdut. Let's turn it here. There we go. The first midah we looked at was Hit Lamdut. We said that this was a beginner's mindset, uh, a mindset of curiosity and learning from everyone and everything. And the anchoring text was from Pirkei Avot, from the teaching of Ben Zoma, Ezehu Chacham, who is the wise one? The wise person is the one who learns from everyone, including and especially those we think are less than us. Next, we discussed Anava, which is often translated as humility, but that word humility is loaded with notions of lowliness or rejection of honor. And from our tradition's perspective, looking at biblical figures who are called uh, humble or anav, like Moses, Abraham, even God, we understood that anava, this word is actually closer to a healthy dose of positive self-esteem, not self-abasement or self-deprecation, not arrogance or narcissism, acknowledging what I have, what I am, what I've accomplished, but recognizing that it's a gift. I could lose it at any moment, and I didn't get there alone. In this latter part of Anava, recognizing the gift and the grace and support that I've needed to get here, to have what I have, to achieve what I've achieved, is connected to the third Midah, which we did together, which was Hakarat Hatov, which we translated as gratitude. We said Hakarat Hatov, or gratitude, is really made up of three pieces. And the function of gratitude isn't simply to feel grateful which is important and necessary, but also to foster closer relationships and love between people, the world, and with God. We said that step one in Hakarat HaTov, or gratitude, is, well, Hakarat HaTov, literally recognizing the good, the good that's already there. The things that are bad or that need improvement are really too many to count. It's so easy. The hard stuff, until you really develop a muscle for it, is seeking out the good, in finding it, no matter how small it might be. 
We spoke about Marie Kondo and the Kutzka Rebbe and, and saw how they really saw the good even within inanimate objects and how those items had served them. Um, in fact, they even thanked those items. And that takes us to our second stage of Hakarada Tov or gratitude, which is actually thanking. Once we recognize that there is good in our lives, we express thanks for that good. We call that hoda'a or praise or thankfulness. And like the, the verse, hodu lashem ki tov, right? We, we thank God for God is good, right? We looked at how Adam, the first Adam, Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was ungrateful for Eve and how Leah, our, our matriarch, that despite her not being loved by Jacob, that she thanks God for the gifts that she had. And she named her last son Yehuda or Judah, which is directly connected to this word, thanks or hoda'a. And that's where we Jews get our names from as we descend from Judah. So we, the Yehudim, we are, in translation, we are the thankful ones. And the last step, which we didn't really go into detail, we will another time, is chesed, kindness. That gratitude is noticing, thanking, and then paying that good forward with chesed, with acts of kindness. Gratitude is not simply a feeling or an individual endeavor. It has to flow outwards. And when there's more kindness in the world, there's more good to notice. And when there's more good to notice, there are more opportunities to express thanks for that good. And then the cycle repeats. So this, this act of chesed, chesed is an action. And though it might make sense for us to more deeply study chesed first, again, don't worry, we're going to get there at some point. Rav Wubi, in fact, in Ali Shur has like 20 pages on it. I think he has like 17, 17 different like uh, stages of, of kindness. You would think, oh, be kind. That's enough. No, Revolbi is like, no, this is actually very important and quite detailed and quite, and quite a difficult trait to develop. We're, but today we're going to focus on zirizut. It sounds a little, it's a little bit of a mouthful. Zirizut, zirizut, or zrizis in some circles. Zirizut or zrizut, I'm just going to, you know, pronounce it however I'm going to pronounce it in a moment. This is the mida. This is the trait which seeks to help us plan to execute and to complete any given action. It's about action, planning, executing, completing. This is what Zerizut is about. How are we going to translate it? Well, it's particularly hard to translate this one. Uh, all, all translations are interpretations, but here especially. And there is an SAT word that a lot of people will use to translate, um, uh, whatchamacallit, excuse me, uh, Zerizut. I did not do very well on my SATs, admittedly, and I did not know this word until I started studying Zerizut. And then someone told me, I know this word, uh, this translated word, because of my study of Zerizut. And that word is alacrity, alacrity. Some people know what that is, other people don't. Other words I've seen include zeal, enthusiasm, focus, hustle. This graphic here are literally all the different ones I saw online, right? We have enthusiasm, eagerness, alacrity, hustle, urgent, verve. Focus, quickness, passion. Did I say zeal? Vigor. A lot of words. And these are all just for this one word of zirizut. And the fact that there are so many should hint at us that, that this word zirizut is not a very simple term to translate. It's actually quite complex. And I would argue that we can break up zirizut into three different components. These aren't necessarily three stages of getting to zirizut, but we, we, we might think of it that way. So one, is the physical, being quick and prompt to take action, the get up and go mentality. That Zrizut requires some physical action, being quick, prompt, take action. There's also a cognitive element of Zrizut. It's about being focused on the job at hand or the project that we're working on with undivided attention. Um, one way I heard it from Rabbi Mark Margolius in the Institute of Jewish Spirituality, he talks about uh, the, the physical is sort of like the blast off of a, of a rocket. And then the, this cognitive element, he doesn't say it in these words, but, but he, he believes it's the, the booster rocket. Sort of once I'm already in it, how can I stay in it, right? And so this cognitive element is the energy that keeps me going, helps us through obstacles, keeps us focused. So there's a physical element, the doing, there's the cognitive, there's the focus, and then there's the emotional. And this, I think, is very important. Um, and I've had a, having to deal with this a lot in therapy, which is, it's one thing to do things, and it's one thing to be focused on them, but what's my attitude towards doing those things? Am I sort of just kind of, I don't know, is the, is the, word, is the word slogging? I don't know, just kind of 
dragging my way through it. Like, oh, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing it well, but I really don't want to be here. Zirizut is part of Zirizut is this emotional element that what I'm doing, I do not see it as a chore or, and we might call it, we might call these things tasks today, but not to see it as a task. It's not a task. I'm, 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 I'm acting with positive affect. I am proud of what I'm doing. I feel called to what I'm doing. I have put myself in a situation. Maybe I might say, okay, I, I really don't, I don't want to, maybe I don't want to do this thing that I'm asked to do at work. Well, that's one attitude. A different attitude could be, well, I really want to make money and I want to have a job. So great labor of love rather than being put upon. Thank you, Judy. That's a great, that's a great way of saying it, right? To see things as labors of love rather than something that we're being put upon us. We're not supposed to see meets vote, for example. We're supposed to see meets vote as op obligatory, but not as a weight uh, on us that we're trying to just throw off. When we do meets vote, we're asked to do it with excitement, with enthusiasm. So to summarize, Zrizut has, I would say, three different components. There's the physical, the doing, the cognitive, the focusing, and the emotional, the feeling good about what I'm doing. And without yet going into the text and just relying on our translations, I invite you to take a moment to just think about on which of these axes you could use a little, little work, a little tender loving care for the physical. Do you struggle to physically get to work? Do you feel held back? Do you procrastinate? Do you distract yourself from actually engaging in the work that you need to do? For, for the cognitive, do you multitask a lot? Does that work for you? For some people, it does. Or do you find yourself jumping from thing to thing, leaving some loose ends and incomplete projects? Do you wish you could focus on one piece of work or perhaps one piece of life at a time? And for the emotional, maybe you have no problem getting things done. Maybe you even do so efficiently and with deep focus. But do you oftentimes feel like you're doing things you just don't really want to do? You might be an all-star. You might produce great results, great presentations. But getting to that point, does it feel like a drag? There might be an inner monologue telling you that you have to do this rather than that you want to do this. And if that's you, then there is a piece of Zrizut for you to do too. So these are the three pieces I would say of Zrizut, each of which we could, all, we could all do some work on. So for now, for our purposes, let's translate Zrizut either as alacrity, zeal, or enthusiasm, depending on our mood today. As I said, no matter how we translate it, Zrizut is related to taking action, beginning and completing a task, a mitzvah, a project. And there are five ways, five ways, at least that I know of, five ways that Zrizut is referred to in our rabbinic literature. There are five sort of pithy lines. And I would say, whichever one of these, if you use it as a mantra or just a, a, a visual, um, you know, take it with you, take it with you home. Uh, the truth is they might all sound similar, these five, and we're going to read them together. There are halachic differences. There are legal differences between them. But for our purposes, we're not going to go into the differences, except to the extent that they teach us about the Midah of Zrizut. So the first one is from the Midrash. And it says, and you shall watch, watch over the matzot, right? You're supposed to guard matzot, right? And that's where we get this idea that you're supposed to watch the matzot, make sure it doesn't, they don't rise, right? Rabbi Yoshaya says, Read it not, you should watch over, you should guard the matzot, but rather watch over or guard the mitzvot. The words are actually, without vowels, the words look the same. Matzot and mitzvot. Mem, tzadi, vav, kaf. Same words, different meanings, different pronunciations. Just as matzot, Rabbi Oshaya says, just as matzot are not permitted to become chametz, so mitzvot should not be, be permitted to become chametz. But rather, if the opportunity of a mitzvah presents itself, uh, presents itself to you, perform it immediately. This is our first idea, that we're supposed to not let our mitzvah become chametz. Meaning, with matzah, you watch it for 18 minutes, doesn't rise, you're done. But for chametz, for bread things, you give it time to rise. This is actually saying, no, we want everything to be like matzah. We can't let it rise. And in fact, on Passover, Matz, uh, chametz, right, is leavened, leavened products, is totally forbidden. It's poison. It's contaminated. This is saying something deep, that when I put something off, it can actually damage that thing that I'm about to do, that I might wish somebody a happy birthday, but if I do it five days late, who cares? 
Now, now not only does it matter, like, yeah, they, they have had their birthday, but now I'm, now I'm seen as a bad friend, right? That actually, when I delay something sometimes, if you can imagine probably getting, you know, responding to an email a little bit too late, and then you say, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, like, okay, once, twice, maybe, but you add it up and it's going to be a lot of chametz there. You don't want it to, to rise. You don't want it to, to, to become heavy in a certain sense, which we're going to talk about later, right? In other words, early and good is generally better um, than uh, later and perfect. Well, well, actually, that's probably for a later. Actually, that's not for this one. Uh, that's for a different one. Um, for this one, I would say for chametz, literally an act done later is contaminated. It doesn't have the same impact. And to that, to that, you know, from that perspective, Zrizut is not an add-on. It's not like, oh yeah, like if I do something with Zrizut, it's good. It's like, no, if you don't do it with Zrizut, it's not good. So that's one perspective on Zrizut. The other one, this is a common expression. The vigilant are early in the performance of mitzvot. Zrizim or Zrizin maktimin la mitzvot. Zrizin maktimin la mitzvot. The ones who are vigilant, the ones who are zariz, liter- so here, this translates zrizut as vigilance. We can think about that. Zrizim maktimin la mitzvot. The ones who are zrizim, the ones who have zrizut, they come early to perform the mitzvot. And the, the idea here, the, the, the classic example, one of them is that, that brit milah, circumcision can be done at any time of the day, but we do it in the morning. Why do we do it in the morning? Because zrizim maktimin la mitzvot. That Abraham did it early in the morning, to, uh, that Abraham, when, when he went to circumcise Isaac, he did it early, or sorry, when he went to bind Isaac um, with the, the binding of Isaac, he did it early in the morning. We too are supposed to do things early in the morning. We should go out of our way to take actions early. Earlier is better than later. Um, another expression, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish said, one must not postpone the performance of mitzvot. Ein ma'avirin al ha-mitzvot. The idea here is that if I'm, if I'm walking around and all of a sudden, I had the opportunity to do a mitzvah. I didn't even necessarily seek it out. I didn't necessarily seek it out. It just happened to be in front of me. I should do it right then and there. I should do it right then and there. Sometimes we get asked to do things at work, right? And, and we weren't planning on doing it, um, you know, or maybe there's a shiva call. I wasn't planning on going to the shiva call, but it came to my hand. Once it comes to me, there's an obligation to do it, especially if it's going to take a short period of time. I should just do it now. And not only that, this principle tells us that if I'm doing one mitzvah now, then if another mitzvah comes, or this, this, is sort, this is in part what it's teaching, if another mitzvah comes, I should finish the one that I'm doing right now. Finish the task at hand. Don't pass up on the, opportun- on the mitzvah that I'm doing right now in favor of another mitzvah. You can think about if you're at a, a cocktail party and you're talking to somebody and then a better person, you know, a, a cooler person, more popular, a successful person walks in. Am I going to just drop the person and go to this person? No, I'm going to finish you know, the conversation I'm having right now and be in the moment. In Ma'avirinala Mitzvah, part of Zrizut is not, is not just doing things early, not just doing things early. It's also about, again, as we said earlier, being focused on the, on the, on the mitzvah or the, or, or the project that I'm working on right now. There's always going to be time to do things later. Well, not always. In fact, that's what we're going to see next. The, next. the next text from the Talmud again says, we do not delay the performance of a mitzvah. Shihui mitzvah lo mishtahinan. These all sound the same, but, but as we go through it, we can see they're different. Um, different nuances. We do not delay the performance of a mitzvah. There's a risk. There's a risk of losing opportunities in the future. So do it now. And lastly, beloved is a mitzvah and it's time. Chaviva mitzvah, chaviva mitzvah v'shata. That if there's a chance to do something now, but I could also do it later, perhaps even in a better way, there's a, there's a debate about this in the Jewish, in Jewish law, but there is a position that says that it's better that I do the thing now and it be good enough, then to put it off and do it later when it would be even better. That's something that we can think about, right? There's the idea of perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, that, that might seem to be what this is saying here. So these are five languages of, of Zrizut. Okay. Next, what I want us to do is to think about, to sort of zoom out before we go zoom back in, and to think about the idea of actions actions, because Musar really is about, it's about not just meditation, introspection, but it's about action. Zrizut is both an attitude, as we talked about, and a mindset, but it's most commonly associated with action. So before studying Zrizut, we need to understand the deep significance. Why should we be focusing on action in the first place? What are the practical and spiritual impacts of action? 
And this might actually be related to this idea that people say sometimes Judaism is a, is a, is a religion of, of, of action, not of belief. I, I don't subscribe to that, but, but I understand where they're coming from. This is perhaps an argument that, that doesn't see that in a pejorative way, that, that actually beliefs are, 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 beliefs and actions are, are go hand in hand. So this, I would call the section, it's the act that counts. So the Sefer HaChinuch, an anonymous work, the 13th century Spanish work, basically what it does is it examines the 613 mitzvot commandments as they appear in the Torah. It explains uh, what we know. This, this particular text explains what we know from contemporary psychology, that merely thinking something does not make it so. Thinking about a building does not make us a builder. Thinking about eating healthy does not make us healthy. But more than that, Hyping ourselves up inside our own heads won't guarantee that we develop a sense of excitement either. It can help, but in the same way that there's research that shows that to some degree, right, the way we carry ourselves, if we smile, that that actually impacts the way that we feel in that moment, and perhaps even others. The Sefer Achinuch explains, and this is a, a famous uh, quote, which not a lot of people know, it comes from this particular text, Acharei ha-pe'ulot nimshachim ha-levavot. In other words, our hearts follow our actions. Our hearts follow our actions. And here, here are his words exactly. He says, my son, do not think to pounce upon my words and say, why would God, may, may God be blessed, command us to do all these commandments to commemorate that miracle? Will we not remember it with one commemoration such that it not be forgotten from the mouth of our offspring? Why do we have to do all these? It's almost like the, the, the wicked child at the Seder. Why are we doing all these things? You must know, says the Sefer HaChinuch, you must know that a person is acted upon according to their actions and their heart and all their thoughts always follow after their actions that they do, whether good or bad. And even one who in their heart is a complete sinner and all the desires of their heart are only for evil. If their spirit shall be enlightened and they will put their efforts and actions to persist in Torah, in commandments, even if not for the sake of heaven, they shall immediately incline towards the good. And from that which is not for its own sake comes that which is for its own sake, as opposed to being for personal gain. We'll explain that in a minute. The, and lastly, four, the hearts are drawn after the actions. There's deep wisdom here for our own Jewish identities and educations, actually. Merely knowing or learning is not enough to fully embody what it means to be a Jew. One must do and act Jewish, however we define that. Judaism is indeed a religion of acts, but not because intentions and thoughts don't matter. It's because our actions help us cultivate proper intentions and thoughts. There's a principle mentioned by the Sefer HaChinuch we just saw, that which means that even doing a mitzvah, in, particularly, in particular learning Torah, but we'll say it broadly, even doing a mitzvah, but not for the sake of heaven, not for its own sake, doing it for some other reason. Maybe it's to look cool. I don't know who does mitzvah to look cool. Some people, maybe, right? But I'm doing it for some reason. Maybe I just want to go for the social scene. I just don't want to be lonely. I want to, I want to hear Hebrew. I like Hebrew. I don't know. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing a certain mitzvah, but not for like a pure, you know, religious, not with pure, pure religious intention. That is still preferable to not doing it at all. Why? Because eventually the hope is that I will do it enough that I will come to have the proper kavana or intention, it being l'shem shamayim for the sake of heaven. Another way of saying it is fake it till you make it. Or uh, if you're an Eric Fromm person, I don't know if he says it this way, but love is not a feeling, it's a verb. Right? As a fun example, um, I think it's Ravulbi uh, says this, he makes a suggestion that instead of driving places where, that instead of driving places to the extent that we're able to, we should walk instead. Right? If I'm not excited about going to shul, I really don't want to go to shul or to go to class or some event. So if that's the case, I should not, I should, assuming I'm able to, I should not drive. I should walk myself there. I'm going to feel my heart. I'm going to feel my heart beating, right? And I'm going to, and I'm going to sense myself moving, moving, moving. And that itself will, 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 will inspire me in some way to feel like, okay, like maybe I am excited about this. I think that's a fun example. With Shavuot coming up, we remember that we accepted the Torah. When we accepted the Torah, we said uh, these two words, na'aseh v'nishma. We will do and we will hear, or we'll do and we'll understand, or we'll do and we'll something, fill in the blank, nishma, something which is more internal. 
right? We might not understand, so it goes, we might not, the, so, the, so the tradition says, we might not understand what mitzvot um, are meant to do for us. We might not even really buy into the power of Shabbat at first, for example. But once we do it, we come to understand more deeply. Actions matter. They ignite something inside for us. There's a, a theological, a cosmological reason for taking actions as well. And the short of it is that everything exists in potential. And until we actualize that potential, not like in the woo-woo, like woo-woo self-empowerment kind of way, which is also important, but more in the philosophical sense, in potential, that until we actualize this sort of latent, I think that's the word, latent potential, that thing isn't worth much. We could have the capacity for generosity, but we are not generous people until we act generously. Ramban, Nachmanides, 13th century Spain and Israel, he explains that this is how the universe works. On the very first verse of the Torah, he explains that this word bara, this, this unique verb bara, Bereshit bara, which only God can perform. Bereshit bara, in the beginning, God created, God barad. But bara is a very special kind of creating. He says the following. Now, we have no expression in the sacred language in Hebrew for bringing forth something from nothing other than the word bara. Everything that exists under the sun or above was not made from non-existence at the outset. Instead, and here's the important part, God brought forth from total and absolute nothing a very thin substance, devoid of corporeality, of physicalness, but having a power of potency, fit to assume, form, and to proceed from potentiality into reality. Very philosophical. If I'm understanding the Ramban correctly, I'll say it in my language. He is saying that in the beginning, there was nothing, but it's not that God was like Emerald Lagasse and said, bam, heavens, bam, earth, bam, animals, bam, humans. Rather, there was one bam, perhaps the big bam, call it the big bam. And that th this was a, a tiny sliver of concentrated potential. And that is what God used as like the raw materials to pull from to create the world. The whole history of the world on this read was already in potential on day one. And day by day, God actualized this potential by creating it, creating with it the world as we know it. Had God not taken action, had God not had zirizut, we would have nothing. The fact that God created a substance of, of, of potential is immaterial. Only when God did something with that does God become crowned with the title of bore, of the creator. And the very same can be said about us. And the Ramban suggests this when commenting on the binding of Isaac. When Abraham was commanded to offer up his son, Isaac, to, up to God, the, what the Ramban says is, on the part of the one, blessed be he, who tries the person, who tests Abraham, it is a command that the one being tested should bring forth the matter from the potential into actuality, so that he may be rewarded for a good deed, not for a good thought alone. God knew Abraham believed. There wasn't a question about that. We see Abraham doing kindness for the angels, a great action. Indeed, the sages learn that since Abraham kept, wait, kept God waiting while he was entertaining the angels who came to the, to the tent, we learn that it's more valuable to take concrete action of welcoming physical guests than, than welcoming the incorporeal, this, this um, not physical presence of God. But that wasn't a demonstration of Abraham's belief in, in loyalty towards God. No. Abraham had it in him. He was a monotheist at heart, but God needed to see it materialize in the world before putting God's trust in Abraham and his progeny. Once Abraham took his good intentions, his thoughts and prayers, if you will, and actually did something about it, Abraham truly, truly, truly introduced monotheism into the world. He showed us thoughts and prayers were not enough. There maybe have been monotheism in the hearts and minds of people, but not yet embodied and externalized in the way that Abraham did. This helps us answer maybe a question of why God chose Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? Because Abraham was a person of action. Abraham had zirizut. And that perhaps is why, why, uh, why, why God chose Abraham. And the same, the same for the world and for Abraham can be said of us. We have these soul traits inside of us. Some we've learned already, others we will learn about, and still others we will never get to. We have passions and talents and dreams and something unique in each and every one of us. We are made, after all, right, in Salem Elohim, in the image of God. But in the same way that God had to create the world 
from a thin substance. Yes, Judy, I want to pause. Um, I was going to say it and I didn't for time, but yes, Abraham ran to welcome and serve the messengers. He ran to get a calf to serve them. And, and, the, and the youngster who, who prepared it, you know, rushed. And, and Sarah also rushed. We cannot forget about Sarah and, the, and all the work that she had to do. Absolutely. Totally. Zibri zoot. And, and interestingly enough, I, don't, I think we need to sort of think about this, but Abraham was recovering from a minor surgery at the time, uh, an invasive surgery known as Brit Mila at the time. Um, and he was, he was an older guy at the time. And nevertheless, he was sitting there ready to greet people, was running around. I think we need to think twice about whether, about the balance of self-care and knowing when I should be serving others and taking action, when I need to rest. That's an important question. But Abraham does show us that oftentimes actions are not, they're not particularly comfortable, certainly not at first, but there is a payoff. Thank you, Judy. So as I was saying that, that the way that God created the world, right, from this thin substance and how Abraham had to demonstrate that he was more than a person of good intentions, we too are tasked to not let these abilities and aspects of ourselves go to waste. It's as if God has invested something in us and God wants to see a return on this investment. It's to our benefit too, of course, but only when we do something with it. I don't know if this, is, this, this image will speak to people, but I was thinking about it and that you know, when, when somebody gets paid for a job, somebody's getting paid for a job. If you're an employer, you want to make sure that you're your employees are working. And when you're an employee, you want to honor your, 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 your manager or your boss by, by actually doing the work that, that you're supposed to be doing. And I was thinking about what would, like, how does that apply to us from the perspective of God, right? Like if we, in a sense, are, are Ovdeh Hashem, we are servants of God, right? We're worshipers of God and we have these roles or we have these callings. What does it mean if we're not doing our job? Like we're on the clock right now. So I was thinking about something like that from this perspective. So this all might sound like a tall order. Take action, create a world, be like God, be like Abraham. Easy enough. No. But seriously, where do we start? Where do we start? I want to become a more resilient person, a more giving person, a more patient person, um, a more assertive person, a more active person, a person, a, a Zari's person, person with Zrizut, or at least someone I can, where I can inject my Zrizut into into my resilience, into my giving, into my patience. Hey, these are all very, very big goals. I might be motivated to get there, right? I have the cognitive piece down, but where do I start? So sometimes our goals are either too amorphous, too undefined, or perhaps they are clearly defined. And I can see the peak of the mountain. I know where I need to go, but the hike, <clears throat> the hike is exhausting. Just thinking about it, it's too exhausting. I'm focused. I, I, I think about when I was in hiking, uh, in uh, Ain Gedir by the Dead Sea in Israel once. And, I, and I, we saw the peak, the, peak, the, the peak of the mountain, but it was actually my first time really not being in a city. Um, and the peak of the mountain looked a lot closer than it was, but there weren't any buildings. And so I, we very much underestimated. I thought it would take an hour walk. It took seven, uh, close enough. <laughs> um, so we can see the peak of the mountain, but the hike is exhausting. Just thinking about it. I'm focused, but I can't get myself to move. So this is where the beauty I think, of Musar comes in. It's all about ma'asim k'tanim, small actions, very, very small actions. In tackling these smaller, more manageable chunks at a time, one day at a time, ma'asim k'tanim, small actions. So why are ma'asim k'tanim, these small actions, why are they so important? Perhaps why are they even preferable to these large radical changes? Revolbi presents a few reasons in Aleshwar. First, Regarding the world in general, we're always starting at the structure of the world before going to the structure of the human. He notes that the world itself is made up of atoms, tiny little atoms, which are invisible to the naked eye. We too are a part of this world. Our spiritual lives and how we develop are similarly made up of very small atoms, small actions and habits developed over time. And enough of those small things creates a, creates a bigger thing. We should not underestimate the power of the little things and their impacts on us. Revolbi says, take medication, for example. We take these very small pills, small, a few milligrams. Depends on medication, maybe 300 milligrams for some, maybe three milligrams for others, depends on the, on the medication, right? Neither of these weights hold a candle to our own weight. And yet, just a few milligrams can heal some of our most debilitating illnesses. And with a few more milligrams than necessary, 
we can easily become sick. And so let's not underestimate the power of a small measure to have a huge impact. The structure of the world influences our own inclination to favor smaller, gradual movements. Rav Wolby brings this idea of the koach hamiriza, the, the rebellious, the resistant force or impulse in us that pushes back and resists progress or change. He equates it to a literal radar. He tells a, a wonderful story about uh, 1973. It was after the Yom Kippur War and he was flying. He was flying to Egypt. I don't know what he was doing there. Maybe he was giving him a muster talk. Don't know, no idea, but he's flying to Egypt. And he notices that the plane, when they get into Egyptian airspace, is awfully low to the ground. So he asked the flight attendant or whoever was there, he said, what's going on? Is there, is there something wrong with the motor? Do I need a daven? I don't know. He's worried. He asked what's happening. And they explain that, that they're within Egyptian, that they're in, the, they're in the Egyptian airspace. And they're within the Egyptian radar's detection zone. And since the radar detects, detects that which is above the height of the radar, they have to literally fly below the radar to not be detected. In this way, when we set out to complete large tasks at once or make large personal changes or simply anticipate doing it, our own radar pushes back. It's too heavy to lift. No, 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 can't do this. So what we have to do, Revolby says, we have to fly under the radar. And how do we fly under the radar? With small actions. Small actions fly under the radar. And before we know it, with enough of these actions, we've actually bypassed the radar and, and hopefully arrived at our destination safe and sound. Musar is not supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be weighty. It's on some level supposed to be light. We're supposed to enjoy the work, right? Zrizut. We're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to, we're supposed to, do, we're supposed to bring Zrizut to our Musar work. We're supposed to enjoy it. Um, if it feels too heavy, if the radar's beeping telling us to stop, we're doing it wrong. And if we're having trouble, then maybe we've bitten off more than we can chew. We need to take on a smaller action. Set a goal whose fruit is low-hanging, but not quite within reach. We actually do need to go on my tippy toes a little bit just to get it. So that's one practical reason why small actions are better than large ones. Our bodies, ourselves, just don't want to comply. Small actions help us fly under the radar, and they're much easier to complete and face much less resistance. But once we complete that action, we are more confident that we can progress to the next step, one step at a time and one day at a time. Musar is less concerned with radical change, as we've said, more with small incremental change. And small incremental change comes with small repetitive actions. And these actions and changes add up. But the goal, also in the sense of, of Zrizut, uh, is not to be perfect, it's to be better. It's the good and the degree of improvement. Right? As we said earlier, the perfect is the enemy of the good with Zrizut, but also Musar in general. We want to just be better. We want to be better. One way I, one, one uh, nice interpretation I heard is, is uh, the ones who enter uh, the month of Adar, joy is increased. So some people say, but like, what if I, I don't feel happy, right? I'm not happy. You know, th things are tough right now. We're in general. I'm not happy. I don't feel it. Um, one, one, one interpretation I heard was, those who enter uh, Adar should just increase in, in their joy a little bit. Doesn't mean you have to be happy, just a little bit. Gradual improvement, gradual improvement. And so what I'm about to say, we might all intuit from our own lives, supported by modern psycho psychology findings, but as we're doing Jewish learning, we should also see it reflected in our holy text. <coughs> Excuse me. Summarizing Maimonides, giving $1,000 to one person is a very generous and noble act. I would say, good thing, if you can. But it doesn't help a person become a more generous person. Rather, Maimonides says, giving even $1 to a thousand different people is a more likely way to truly affect some change within a person. Giving many times, no matter how much they're giving, creates habits and character, more so than giving once, no matter how big the investment. And similarly, expressing gratitude, Gratitude, perhaps, uh, perhaps a long thank you note is great for one gift, but following in an extreme sort of way, these steps of A.J. Jacobs, the author, I don't know if you've seen his book uh, or his TED talk, he literally like thanked thousands of people for his cup of coffee. He went across the whole entire value and supply chain from the, from the farmers to the people who made the roads to the people who manufactured the trucks to the people who made the coffee machine 
uh, you know, to the people who made the plugs, everything, anybody who, who somehow contributed to him having that cup of coffee on, you know, in that morning, he thanked them all. That I would say is more likely to um, increase one's gratitude um, in a person's life because it becomes part of a person. When I give regularly, when I thank regularly, I become a giving, thankful person. When I'm angry regularly, I become an angry person. If I blow up once in a while, okay, that doesn't make me an angry person. It's just if it's a trend. The frequency with which we, we take an action, that helps us define ourselves. So that's the second practical reason why Musar, um, uh, why in Musar, that small acts um, are, are, are more valuable than large acts. First, as we saw above, because they're easier and they face fewer obstacles. And second, as we explained here, slow and steady wins the race. The personal work we engage in will be more sustainable and more effective when it's done bit by bit over time. And we've seen the power of action to create world, to create internal states. We've seen that smaller actions have more staying power than larger ones. Okay, so in our remaining time before opening up to the floor, how can we conceptualize the result more tangibly? I would say just like we have the, I did sort of make this spectrum up, so I hope it follows correctly. So we're all doing this together. Um, Zrizut, I would say, falls between laziness and mania. We're always trying to find a balance. Remember, we saw anava is between like self-deprecation and narcissism. I would say Zrizut is between laziness and mania. On the one hand, atzlut or kvedut, heaviness, right? I'm feeling like I'm dragging my feet or I just, I feel heavy and I can't move, right? Um, lethargy, procrastination, laziness, that's on one end. The other end is I have no problem acting. I have no problem taking action. I just, it's like I'm a chicken with my head cut off. I'm just running around and I'm doing too much. And I'm not focused enough. Um, although, me, although I would say that this can also lead to uh, stifling in a way, if I'm ruminating, if I'm very anxious, it's a lot. Um, if I'm always overanalyzing things, that I would say is probably closer um, to this, to this non-clinical, um, you know, manic state in a way, in the sense that, that, that I'm stressed, I'm moving, right? It's not that I'm feeling nothing. It's just that I, I have so much going on and I don't know where to start. So Zrizut is in the middle there. Zrizut is deliberate action. It's prompt action. It's controlled action. It's enthusiastic action. Okay, so where does Rizut apply? So I, by the way, I would say that, that if you're interested on Safari, you can find a whole translation of these two, of two particular works um, that, that talk about Rizut and, and they're, they're great. They're really great. One is Orchot Chaim, uh, sorry, excuse me, Orchot Sadikim. Orchot Sadikim is a, was an, also an anonymous work of Musar. Some people actually think it was created by a woman, which is interesting to think about. Um, there are some hints to it in the text. And the other is Misilat Yesharim, right? Orchot Sadikim, chapter 15, and Misilat Yesharim, I think it might be chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, around there. I would highly recommend taking a look at those. Usually I would say Misilat Yesharim can be very tough because it, it assumes a lot of theological things. Um, but in this case, Rizud, it's actually, I think, pretty, pretty accessible to anybody regardless of your, of your values. So let's just look at a few examples of Zrizut in Orchot, in Orchot Chaim. I think this wasn't, this, I think this one is from Orchot Chaim. It might be Misilai Shari. It says, now you ought to remember. Let's see. Actually, yeah. Now you ought to remember the things that men, people, tend to be lazy about. Although men might be lazy too. If you must look something up in a book and you don't know where to find it, you must be quick to go and ask someone who is familiar with the subject. If a poor man comes to your house to ask for bread, do not say, I cannot go and get the bread, but go quickly and bring it. If you're about to wash your hands and you have little water or loathsome water, or if the vessel for the washing of the hands does not quite meet the ritual specifications and you're hungry and you want to eat, let not your hunger make you look light, lightly upon the washing of the hands. Take it seriously still. Be quick, bring water and a proper vessel. One must be very alert when taking care of their bodily needs. They should not delay even for a moment. A person should be very alert and careful to guard themselves in the matter of cleanliness so that their garments are clean and their body is clean. They should be zealous and seek knowledge of the Torah and knowledge of the creator as it's written. There's a verse. And a person should be alert to seek justice. It is necessary to be quick in copying out the books which one needs for one's study. When they see or hear a new thing, they should be alert and write it down, not delay until it's forgotten from their heart. 
that's a bit about laziness. Um, I think it's from the Tzit Um, But I, I want to focus on, on one thing about Zrizut in Orchot Sadikim. This is one of the last things he says, I think, on the topic. Do I have it here? So basically what he says, here it is. One must be able to rise from their bed and cause all slumber to vanish from their eyelids in order to rise early and to study the Torah. They need Zrizut to remove, to remove themselves from unworthy deeds such as envy and hatred and lustful thoughts. And here's the kicker. They must be Zariz. They must have Zrizut to seek peace and pursue it. As it says, seek peace and pursue it. To think about in our interpersonal relationships, how often do we wait sometimes to apologize or to amend a relationship? Zrizut is not just about doing work um, and getting things done and checking things off lists and being excited about that and doing mitzvot. Zrizut is also about relationships, calling people back on time. If I'm noticing that my allies or my friends that were, that were on the rocks, right, or someone said something offensive, Zrizut tells me, you have to act. Go apologize now or go open the conversation now. We're supposed to seek peace and pursue it. And we should be zariz. We should be um, vigilant. We could say zealous. Enthusiastic. P- take your pick of word. Um, what that looks like. So I want to focus on just two, two elements here. One is r- these two particular applications, which I think are relevant. One is Rizut as an alarm clock. And one is Rizut as a peacemaker. So Rizut tells me that in the morning, I say Mo'odani, I'm grateful. And I got to jump right out of bed. I don't do this myself. Admittedly, I do not do that myself. Um, I do not jump out of bed so easily, but it is interesting practice to think about what if for one week I said every day, I'm going to jump out of bed just for this one week, right? We talk about small actions. I can't commit to it for the rest of my life, but what if just for this one week, I commit myself that I'm not going to sluggishly get out of bed. So that's, and, and when I start my day that way, just imagine how much more productive I'll be. And then the second thing is in our interpersonal relationships, how much, how am I maintaining them? Am I, am I applying Zrizut, this alacrity, this enthusiasm to my relationships, to responding to people on time, to responding to emails, that when there's an issue and I need to make peace, that I do it now and I don't let things sort of fester and get worse, right? It's easy to just ignore, um, you know, a toxic situation or a challenging situation. Zrizut says, no, actually, it's really important that you resolve it and that you do so with a good attitude, with a good attitude. So... That is our talk for Zrizut for today. Let me open the floor and see sort of how did this land for you? Are there certain things in your life that you feel like I could be, you know, more passionate about or more quick to complete um, or more focused? Want to leave, leave it broad because we saw that there are at least three elements of Zrizut, the physical, the cognitive, and the emotional that we want to work on. Curious to hear from folks uh, where you feel like this, this could apply in your own lives. You're welcome to just unmute on your own. No need to raise your hand or anything like that. Rabbi Berman, I'll say like you, I struggle in the morning to sort of be able to get up and uh, especially say like my prayers or things like that. That's definitely something I need to work on and be better about because when I do it, I feel like this is a great way to start the day. Why don't I do this more often? So I can totally relate. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, one, one way I heard was that, that every morning Hashem does CPR on us and revives <laughs> us. And if, if uh, I think Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg in Boca said it this way, maybe you heard from somebody else that, that if somebody, if somebody's resuscitated you, you probably want to, you know, you'd probably be pretty grateful and you'd want to really appreciate your life in a sense. Gratitude, it, when it is hard to, to practice Rizut, uh, one thing Missy Lot Yashrim suggests is to practice gratitude. Um, that gratitude can help me develop a level um, of enthusiasm. But great, waking up, we could all we could all relate. Other folks. I wonder if the Musar teachers talk at all about the the relational dimension of Zrizu, because it feels a little bit individualistic. I mean, a lot of Musar can feel that way. Let me give an example. Let's say you have a life partner, you have a spouse or the like, and you move at different paces, right? How do you kind of balance, um, how do you kind of balance that pace? Or let's say you're a community leader or a community activist, and you kind of understand the urgency before the community, so to speak, does, and you're ready to go, but you'll be crazy to them if you're ready to go and they're not ready to go, so you gotta slow down. 
So how do you think, how do the Musar teachers think about the relational components in thinking about one's own pace? It's a great question. I don't know if I have a great answer. As always, the question is better than the answer. Um, I, I might say that, that, that the Musar, you know, thinkers do tell us you need to be careful. Don't go too fast. Um, they say, if you go too fast, you can trip. And I think that if we are going too fast and we're finding that in relationships, sometimes that, that result might actually be interfering in a way. On the one hand, we might say, we might say that, okay, well, that person needs to speed up, um, but it might be either I need to sort of hold their hand and bring them along, um, or I need to slow down. Um, I think it also depends, of course, on what the issue at hand is. Some issues are just more urgent than others. They do talk about how Zrizut is not a personality trait, that, I'm, that people are Zaris in this and not in that. Um, Ravobi talks about some people are Zaris in their Talmud study, but are not Zaris in their Musr study. Some people are Zaris in doing Chesed, and some people are not Zaris, that those same people are not Zaris in doing Tefillah or something like that. So, so I think that there are times where we can sort of allow ourselves to be Zaris, to have Zrizut in some uh, parts of our lives and not others. That's, that's what I might suggest. Don't you think there's the, the balance issue between Zerizut and Sablanut, the patience, and really um, Anava, because you have to be humble to, to take a, a look at the other person's point of view. Many times we don't know what's weighing on other people. Um, we can attempt to whip up their enthusiasm, but if they're uh, worried about paying their rent, there's only so much they can get excited at. They, they have only so much bandwidth. And there are people who are struggling with invisible things that we don't know about, like mental health issues or you know addiction or other things like that. So we, we can be enthusiastic, but we can't be tapping our watches and saying, you know, you've got to keep up with me. Yeah, that's a great point. Definitely. He's been on lockdown, it feels like forever. And it's hard to have any series do when every day is the same. I mean, but. Lauren, Lauren, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I put on oh, my. Much better, much better. Thank I you. apologize. My mistake. Um, you know, when every day is the same, when, because we're on lockdown, you can't go out and do very much. You know, I did, my day is on Zoom. But it's hard to have much series, dude. I mean, I keep saying, like, since the winter, my spirit animal is a sloth. It's just, you know, uh, so I'll do my, I'll, I'll clean the floor tomorrow. Why should I do it today? It'll give me something to do tomorrow. It's, it's really hard to get in gear. Yeah, um, I, I want to just to, to, to sort of like validate that. Um, I would imagine other folks have more insight and probably their days are probably more similar to, to yours than, than mine um, might be who are in this group. So I wanna to sort of say that. Um, I think that even though there is this teaching that we should be, you know, we should get up like a lion in the morning to praise God. And even though there are these teachings about we should be, you know, strong as a leopard, swift as an eagle, you know, fast like a gazelle, et cetera, or, you know, that, that despite that, like, I don't think we need to be those things always. Um, I think it's okay to be it's okay to be a sloth, um, and and I and I I feel like it's this goes back to what I said earlier. I think about how Zrizut is not a personality trait that needs to to be for all across the board. Like I wonder if there are certain small things. Again, every like that's why I started off talking about small actions, very 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 small actions um, that you can say I could maybe if I can find just a tiny bit. A little bit of oil, a little bit of energy. Um, if I can just find that for one small thing in my day, how would that make me feel? Could I do that? Um, you say that every day is the same, and I and I certainly know it feels that way. It does for me. I haven't been outside in three days. Um, I realized, um, and I think gratitude is is one of those practices that that. That if we, if you know, if you let a lot of people feel, I don't always feel this way, but like every day is a gift, one day at a time. Um, like, like if, like I think, especially now of all times, if you've known somebody who's who's gotten sick um, or has passed away, like life is a gift, and I, and that that is hard to to internalize. 
that's where I think sometimes these small actions can help us get to a place where we feel that way. Um, so I don't know if other people, I don't know if that's helpful for you. I don't know if other people have, have more, more insight here, but again, small actions, you know, small moments of gratitude, um, not trying to feel like this is a whole project, but just little tiny, tiny things you can do. Rabbi, um, I wanted to just share one thing um, that, you know, I'm involved in the community and I kind of taken it on my own to help like Jewish singles connect with each other. And I planned a conference a couple of years ago for Tuba Av, which was in August. And as I was sharing my thoughts with people about this, you know, I got a lot of negativity. Who would want to come to Phoenix in August? And you know, how realistic, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I feel that if, um, and, and we did do it and it was successful. So I, how do you, how do you counterbalance negative feedback with, on, with some of your ideas when you have a passion for it, just like a kid, you know, a young adult wants to do something and their parents poo-poo it. So how, what does that adult do? Does that adult, that child, continue on with his passion and enthusiasm or does he let reality sit and let all the comments influence him and let his dream go away you said rabbi so i'm going to deflect actually to i defer to rabbi shmuley because i feel like this is something that rabbi shmuley's work is i i could be wrong um but working with communities who might not be on the same page um you know who have different priorities different um, different positions sometimes. I don't know. I, you could you could kick it right back to me, but that's I, I feel like you, know, you have a lot of Randy, experience. Randy didn't sign up for a class with me. She signed up for one with you. So I'm going to kick it back to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid I don't have a great answer. I can only say I think it's important to, to try to speak to people's passions and interests. Um, I guess in, in the Hillel world, they say meet people where they are. I think there is a balance though, you know, again, as, as a leader, right? Meeting people where they are versus, you know, helping them get to a place where if, if, if they've enlisted you and if they've hired you and they trust your leadership. Um, you know, if I could add one thing, please. you know, um, Ru, uh, Ru, uh, I, I like to quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg who quotes her mother-in-law saying, it's helpful to be a little deaf sometimes, which is that you don't have to hear, you don't have to listen to every piece of feedback. And, um, and I think that, I think actually a big piece of Jewish wisdom is to learn what parts of contemporary times do we want to learn from um, and have Judaism adapt and what parts do we want to kind of not adapt. And so too, like what parts of, of advice are helpful and, and we want to adapt and what parts do we want to filter out. I think this is like a, a huge, a huge topic of, of what to accept and what not to accept. So I'm, I'm not, I'm certain, most certainly not answering it, but just kind of elevating the importance of the question for the Jewish community and for us as individuals. I, I think that- Thank you. Randy, if uh, there, yes. most people are not visionary and you have a vision, uh, if you believe in your vision, you like Herzl, nobody thought that uh, what he had right. to say was, was great until they established the state of Israel. So. You have right. a vision, and it's an important one, and uh, you got to plow ahead. Well, I think Rob Shmuley is absolutely right. Sometimes you have to you have to ignore people who are being negative because mm -hmm. that's not helpful. Right. Okay. Thank you. Time for uh, time for one more question here. I thought. So I will just add one little thing about um, these small actions. For the first time in a year, I went out to lunch last Sunday with a friend of mine at a restaurant. And, and when I got back from that, it was just like the big, biggest thing, it, you know, just going out to lunch. So, I mean, as we get back to life and get back, you know, these little things are going to seem huge. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Yehuda. I, I love that. And, and, and maybe we can be, and maybe Lauren, to your point, maybe Zerizut can be, maybe my, my, the target of my Zerizut might be 
how can I make just saying, just like we want to make Shabbat different from the week? How can I make today a little bit different? How can I make today a little bit different than yesterday? Right? So it could be going to a, going for a walk, right? It could be right. Like thinking about how, you know, applying Zrizut here. It's not how can I be a more Zari's person, but, but how can I apply Zrizut in, in a, you know, and take action to actually make my day a little bit different. Maybe that's something to work on this week. One of the many things I learned in this session was I think Zrizut is normally taught behaviorally um, of how we act, but I appreciate you bringing in the enthusiasm component, enthusiasm and how we cultivate that emotional realm as well. So uh, friends, let's continue to have enthusiasm for our learning. And next week, next week is compassion. Next week is compassion. Compassion, good, good. Focusing on the self, by the way, but but you'll, you'll come and we'll see. Thank you very much, uh, Reb Lauren, and thank you all for joining, and we'll see you next week, hopefully.